This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. ER Vet is brought to you by Carnivora. Get healthy and stay healthy with nature's nutritional powerhouse. to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Justine Lee, and I'm a board-certified emergency critical care specialist and toxicologist. Thanks for joining us today. Today, we're going to be talking about canine leptospirosis. It sounds like a mouthful, but I want you to care about this one because this one is potentially contagious and spreadable to you, your family, and the rest of your pets. We'll be right back after these messages. Hi, this is Deborah Lau, president of Carnivore Research International. Did you know that people have used Carnivore for their pets successfully for a wide range of immune challenges for many decades? Here are Carnivore Klein sharing their pet's testimonial. Our little dog developed this lymph problem. We took him in for surgery last year. We noticed a lump on his chest that was a lymph node that was swelled up. So the doctor checked it out and had it analyzed and everything. And uh, But the chemotherapy lasted for six months. He started developing more uh, lymph nodes that were swelled up. So I thought I'd just try carnivore. We started that and uh, he really responded. The lymph nodes started to go down, swelling dead. Then I took him into the vet to have him checked out and there was no sign of any disease at all inside in the internal organs at all. Call 866-836-8735. That's 866-836-8735. Or visit carnivore.com. That's C-A-R-N-I-V-O-R-A.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. Today, we're going to be talking about something called leptospirosis. I know it sounds like a mouthful. So you should know that most of the time, we veterinary professionals abbreviate it as lepto. Now, this is something that you have to be aware of because this disease is zoonotic. And zoonotic means it can spread to you and your family. Now, if you are moving to Hawaii or you live in certain areas that are warm and have rainforests and are beautiful, like the Caribbean or different warmer parts of the world like China and India, You and your pets are at higher risk for canine leptospirosis. So what exactly is lepto? Well, lepto is a thin spirochete. It's a spiral-shaped bacteria that has these little hooks at the end of them. And they hook into wildlife, companion animals, and even our livestock like cows and pigs. Now, I should tell you that there's over 200 different types or serovars of leptospirosis, and only some of them will cause harm. The frustrating thing about leptospirosis is that when wildlife carry it, they can actually spread it to our pets or our livestock. I have a fenced-in backyard, and I'm worried about leptospirosis in my fenced-in backyard in the Twin Cities of Minnesota. Why? Because leptospirosis can be carried by raccoons, skunks, voles, deer, all types of animals. 
Mice and rats, pigs, cattle, dogs, cats, ton of animals can carry and be affected by leptospirosis. So it ends up living in the environment for a really long time. Now, there's a couple of different types of leptospirosis out there. They're going to be a mouthful, but you don't need to worry about their names too much. But they're typically Leptospira, Canicola, Pomona, Bratislava, Autumnalis, Icterohemorrhagica. There's so many different types of lepto out there. I will say there is a vaccine for lepto, and it protects for four different types of lepto. Now, I will tell you, just last week, I saw a case of leptospirosis in the veterinary ER. And the frustrating thing was that this dog actually was in acute kidney failure from the leptospirosis. When I got the referral from the veterinarian who was sending in this case into my specialty clinic, the medical record actually said that the owner declined the leptospirosis vaccine because they did not think their pet was exposed. Well, I hate to break it to you, but if you have your dog and you walk it on a leash, your dog is exposed. I will also disclose that leptospirosis decades ago used to be defined as a disease that was mostly thought of large dogs that like to roam outside. So you're a classic rural farm dog. So if you had a Labrador retriever or an old English sheepdog or a border collie that was running around on your farm outside, those were the dogs that were more likely to be affected. Well, hold the presses, not true anymore. Some recent studies that were published out of Purdue found it was a totally different group of dogs that were actually at risk. It was 10-pound terrier dogs that lived in the city that were more likely to get lepto. Now, why is that? It was probably because a lot of people, specifically breeders, were saying, don't vaccinate for leptospirosis, especially if you have a small dog. And we were seeing a growing population of pets that were unvaccinated and unprotected. I will say, decades ago, the vaccine was what I call hot. In other words, it was more likely to cause a mild allergic reaction, especially in certain breeds like dachshunds. Now, when it comes to leptospirosis, I will say the vaccine has completely changed over the past few decades also. Now it's ultra purified by all these companies. It's a Bactrin vaccine. And so it's much, much lower in risk of causing any kind of allergic reaction. When it comes to allergic reactions in dogs, by the way, most of the time their face just puffs up a little bit. It gets a little swollen and it's rarely life-threatening, but when in doubt, you always want to seek veterinary attention immediately. So to backtrack, a lot of breeders were saying decades ago, don't vaccinate your dogs or more likely to get allergic reactions. Your dogs are at low risk for it. Well, that has since been debunked. Again, the vaccine is ultra purified nowadays. The risk of reaction is extremely, extremely low. And I will disclose my own dog is vaccinated for leptospirosis every single year. Why? Because my dog loves to swim in the Mississippi River. And being that Minnesota is the head of the Mississippi River, we see a lot of flooding, especially during the spring when the snow starts to melt and then the Mississippi River floods. And as a result, deer, rodents, mice, rats, raccoons are peeing in the water. And my dog's at risk for being exposed to leptospirosis when he swims in water. Leptospirosis is found more commonly in areas where there's slow moving or stagnant water. When there's recent rainfall, it's worse in the fall, in autumn. It's worse if your pet has exposure to urbanized wild animals like raccoons or 
if your pet is exposed to rodents. Now, every single pet owner I've ever asked in the veterinary ER when I say, hey, does your dog have any exposure to mice or rats? All pet owners always say, of course not, no way, because they make the association that it may be messy conditions, but absolutely not. I will tell you there are mice everywhere, right? And if a mouse pees on the grass outside, your dog eats or licks the grass or the sidewalk, your pet unfortunately is exposed. I also think that we're seeing more and more leptospirosis nowadays, not only because people aren't vaccinating, but also because of global warming. So it's warmer and wetter weather conditions, which is the condition that leptospirosis loves to survive in. Their perfect temperature that they love is around 70 to 80 degrees. So if a dog does get leptospirosis, what signs are we going to see? Well, unfortunately, the signs of leptospirosis are pretty vague. 80% of the time when I see canine leptospirosis, it's in the form of kidney failure. This is what we call acute kidney injury. It's abbreviated AKI. And by the time I see it, unfortunately, in the ER, it means that 75% of both of your dog's kidneys are not working. That's really bad. And so remember, acute kidney injury can result in long-lasting damage your pet's kidneys. It can actually result in chronic kidney failure, which means that your pet's going to have a shorter lifespan. Now, about 20% of the time, I can see leptospirosis affecting the kidneys. That's what we call a hepatopathy, a fancy word for saying that there's an insult or injury to the liver. So remember, kidney disease, liver disease are usually the two biggest organs that are affected by leptospirosis. Now, the signs that your dog may show if he's sick from leptospirosis includes not wanting to walk, not wanting to eat, having a decreased appetite, vomiting occasionally, maybe drooling, having some diarrhea, having a fever, drinking or urinating more, having some belly pain, having jaundice or yellow gums, losing weight, or having abnormal urination, like urinating too much or too little. And I will say these are really, really vague signs. They're what I call ADR, ain't doing right. And when I see a dog come into the emergency room, this can be a whole host of different problems. So again, the biggest signs that I see are excessive drinking, excessive urination, a fever, not eating, and evidence of kidney damage. Now, keep in mind that there are a couple other clinical signs that we can see from leptospirosis. This includes things like bruising, breathing harder having black tarry stool, having a bloody nose, vomiting blood, or having bloody diarrhea. So there's a lot of different clinical signs that leptospirosis can cause. Because canine leptospirosis can look like so many other diseases, usually I'll start out by doing a full physical exam, getting some history from you as a pet owner. In other words, was your pet vaccinated for leptospirosis? Does your dog like to swim? Does he like to walk on sidewalks? Does he have any exposure to deer or anything like that? Does he have any exposure to other chemicals? So a whole host of other questions I'm going to ask. The next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to do a couple of diagnostic tests. In a previous episode of ER Vet, I spoke with Dr. Garrett Pachtinger, a fellow criticalist, on some of the common blood tests that we do in the veterinary ER. So make sure to check out that episode. The biggest tests I'm going to run in the ER include a complete blood count, what we call a CBC, a chemistry panel, a clotting test, and a leptospirosis test. I'm also going to want to do an ultrasound, a urine test, or even a urine culture. Now, 
that all sounds pretty expensive. And I will say just those tests themselves can cost up to $1,000, which is, again, one of the reasons why I'm such an advocate of preventative care, like getting your dog vaccinated and protected to begin with. So why are we doing all those blood tests? Well, first of all, on my complete blood count, I'm looking to see if there's any evidence of an infection. A CBC is going to look at the white blood cells, the red blood cells, and the platelet count. Oftentimes, I'll see an elevated white blood cell count, and about 60% of the time, I'll actually see a low platelet count. So this is a big red flag that makes me worried about leptospirosis. On my chemistry panel, I'm looking to see what my liver enzymes or what my kidney values are doing. Sometimes there's some mild salt imbalances that we can see too. So I want to look, again, specifically at liver values like the ALT, AST, or alkaline phosphatase. For the kidney function, I'm looking specifically at a couple of values called the BUN, creatinine, and an STMA, which let me look at the function of the kidneys. On the urine test, I'm looking to see at the concentration of the urine. This is typically what we call a urine-specific gravity. I'm also looking to see if there's any evidence of a urinary tract infection. When I do an ultrasound, I'm looking to see if there's any damage to the kidneys or the liver. Now, an ultrasound isn't painful at all. It's very similar to getting a sonogram. And honestly, most dogs don't need to be sedated for this. But what I'm looking for specifically is what the kidney architecture look like. I'm looking for secondary changes that can be affected when it comes to leptospirosis. Sometimes it can cause inflammation to other organs like the pancreas. So we might see evidence of pancreatitis, enlarged lymph nodes, abnormal architecture to the kidneys and liver. So again, can be a really important test too. When it comes to testing for leptospirosis, I will tell you that there's about three different tests that I do. One's called the PCR. And if you've been following COVID-19 updates, PCR is the most accurate of all of them. It's actually testing for the DNA from the actual organism. So I love doing PCR tests. It's a very easy blood test and urine test, but hold the press. You have to be aware that even one dose of antibiotics will screw up this test. This is one of the reasons why we don't like to just say, oh yeah, we'll just treat him with a course of antibiotics. If he doesn't improve, we'll do testing later. No, we don't want to do that because that's not going to tell us what's going on. And with leptospirosis, we do want to confirm the diagnosis before we start antibiotics. So please be aware, even one dose of antibiotics can screw up that PCR test. It's going to make it falsely negative. Now, there are a couple of new in-house tests. These are what we call SNAP tests or ELISA tests. And these are actually measuring the antibodies to leptospirosis. And depending on how sick your dog is, how soon they became sick, or if your pet was previously vaccinated, I'm going to interpret the test a little bit differently. If your dog was recently vaccinated for leptospirosis, it may test falsely positive. So I'm going to use my veterinary determination based on the history of recent vaccination and how sick your pet is to determine which test is the best test to do. Now, there is another test called the MAT test or the microscopic agglutination. This is looking specifically at antibodies also, but this requires two serial tests. So one test done once, and then another repeat test done typically two to three weeks later. I know this is a lot of information, but this is one of the reasons why you may see your veterinarian doing several different tests for leptospirosis, kind of like COVID nowadays. We'll continue with this really important topic right after these messages.
Hi, this is Deborah Lau, president of Carnivore Research International. Did you know that people have used Carnivore for their pets successfully for a wide range of immune challenges for many decades? Here are Carnivore clients sharing their pet's testimonial. My cat had issues that developed in his eye. And six months later, they had to go ahead and scrape the eye. And three months later, the same ulcer came back on in the same eye. So my veterinarian said, you know what, let's go ahead and remove the eye. So that night, I heard the carnivore on advertising. So I said, you know what, I'm going to order this product. That way, at least I tried. They did the procedure. They did all the tests. To their surprise, they said, I don't know what you did, but I'll see you in two months. I, I kid you not. This product saved his eye. Call 866-836-8735. That's 866-836-8735. Or visit carnivore.com. That's C-A-R-N-I-V-O-R-A.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> to ER Vet. So far, we've been talking about canine leptospirosis and why you need to care. Again, canine leptospirosis is caused by this bacteria-like organism that's shed from wildlife. And if your dog likes to lick grass or lick sidewalks, your dog's at risk. Thankfully, there's a vaccine out there that can help protect your pet. But the biggest thing you have to be aware of is it can cause kidney damage and liver damage to your pet. Now, we talked about what tests we're going to do to diagnose it. We talked about what clinical signs we want to look for. Now, let's talk about treatment. Now, I will say, since I'm based on a Minnesota, I probably see one or two dogs a week coming into the veterinary ER for leptospirosis. That's a lot. And again, that's because I live right by the head of the Mississippi. So we see it a little bit more because we have more water up here. That said, depending on where you live, the prevalence of leptospirosis will vary. It used to be thought to be a disease that is seen more in warmer areas, but if I'm seeing this in Minnesota, you're going to see it anywhere. I will also say that drier areas like deserts aren't typically thought to be the hot spots for leptospirosis, but that's not true anymore. In Arizona, because people love lawns, what they were finding was that people were using sprinklers at night and that was attracting wildlife towards that water source. And as a result, Mice, rats, wildlife were urinating on the lawn and dogs were getting sick, even in desert areas where we didn't used to see lepto. So because of our love for lawns and water sprinklers, unfortunately, we're seeing leptospirosis throughout the United States. Now, when it comes to treatment for leptospirosis, thankfully, the prognosis is fair to good. It typically involves IV fluids, anti-vomiting medication, antibiotics, and supportive care and repeat blood tests. Now, because a lot of these pets are in kidney failure, we end up having to use really aggressive IV fluids to help flush out the kidneys. Now, most of the time, dogs usually need to be hospitalized for three to four days to be treated for leptospirosis. In the veterinary ER, that can be three to $4,000, but it's really important to flush out those kidneys or permanent kidney damage can occur. We also have to repeat blood work to make sure kidney values are improving every single day. So I typically will measure repeat kidney function tests and liver tests every 24 hours. I'm also going to monitor your dog's urine output because we want to make sure that they're not going into kidney failure or that it's not getting worse. 
The next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to pick the right type of antibiotic. Not all antibiotics will treat leptospirosis. It usually responds best to penicillins, so drugs like amoxicillin, ampicillin. It will not respond to certain drugs. So please be aware you want to work with your veterinarian on this. I usually treat leptospirosis cases with doxycycline, which is an antibiotic that's often used to treat Lyme disease too. Most dogs need to be treated for a full 14 days in order to cure them from leptospirosis. Sometimes I'll use stomach protectants if I'm worried about kidney disease because kidney failure can cause ulcers. I'll use anti-vomiting medication. And thankfully, the prognosis is fair to good. The prognosis that's published in the veterinary literature is about 75 to 80% for survival. That means three out of every four dogs is going to survive this, thankfully. But again, they'll oftentimes have a several thousand dollar bill to treat their dog from leptospirosis. The other risk is that it's zoonotic, which means that it can spread to other pets in the household or even to humans. I always tell pet owners that I want them to contact their medical doctor just to be on the safe side. And I also tell them if they have dogs or cats that live in the household, that they should also take them into the veterinarian to get tested or even treated. Thankfully, most of the time when we start the right antibiotic, within two to three days, the risk of zoonotic spread to other pets or humans is relatively low, but we always have to be careful just to be on the safe side. Again, the prognosis for leptospirosis is fair to good. So even though it sounds scary when your dog goes into kidney failure or has liver injury from it, it is treatable. It's just frustrating because the survival is only about 75 to 80%. And if your dog had underlying injury, unfortunately, it's going to result in chronic scarring to the kidneys and liver. So it can result in chronic kidney failure, shortening your pet's lifespan. When in doubt, you really want to try to prevent this disease. So how are we going to prevent it? If you know you have rodents in the area, you do want to make sure to implement appropriate rodent control, appropriate fencing, or even landscaping changes to remove stagnant or standing water, or even stacks of wood or cut down trees or branches to avoid anything that's going to keep rodents to coming onto your property. I will say I was just driving through my neighborhood and I saw a lot of neighbors that were using bales of hay as decoration or to help create little forts for their kids. The danger of this is that rodents love to live in bales of hay. So I'm going to say the first thing you can do is implement these environmental changes. Again, do everything you can to prevent rodents from coming onto your property, whether or not it's fencing or landscaping changes. The second thing you can do is annual vaccination. I live by Google Calendar, and so I have it scheduled on my Google Calendar every single April 1st to make sure to bring my dog in to get vaccinated for leptospirosis. Now, the first time that your dog's vaccinated for it, he's going to need a booster. So he's going to need a booster vaccine three weeks later, and then your pet will be protected typically several weeks after that second booster. Once your dog's body or immune system has seen that booster, they're going to respond to an annual vaccine. So this is one of the most important vaccines that I think is really imperative at keeping your dog safe, especially if you walk them on a leash in the city, they're a terrier or small dog, or they have exposure and like to swim. Vaccination is really an important way to help prevent it. And of the vaccines out there, there's what we call a two-way or a four-way vaccine. 
I always choose the four-way. Now, what it means by four-way is that it's protecting against four serovars or four different kinds of lepto versus two kinds. You want more bang for your buck, so you want as much protection as possible. So again, I usually vaccinate for the four-way vaccine for my own dog. When in doubt, please talk to your veterinarian about this, but I just wanted to leave you a couple of key points. Remember, this vaccine is ultra purified. The likelihood you're going to see an allergic reaction is so low nowadays, you really don't have to worry about it. So for all you breeders out there, I really do encourage you to talk to your veterinarian. The risk of an adverse event is extremely low compared to decades ago. Again, the biggest population that we're seeing of dogs getting leptospirosis is that 10-pound terrier that lives in the city. So while you may not think that your dog is exposed to mice or rats, sadly, they are exposed to wildlife. And we really want to keep ourselves and our pets safe by helping avoid canine leptospirosis. Well, that brings me to the end of today's show. Find me at drjustinelee.com, on Facebook or Instagram at drjustinelee.com. Or email me your pet questions at drjustine at petliferadio.com. With that, we're out of time, and we want to thank Mark Winter, our producer, for making this show possible. We'd also love if you took the time to write a five-star review on Apple Podcasts so other pet owners will be able to find the show too. With that, we'll see you at the next episode. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.